Well, we are looking at uh, 1 John, uh, which is a, a little letter written by the Apostle John, probably written to the church in Ephesus, and also a letter which was circulated around the, the churches surrounding Ephesus. In chapter 1, if maybe you had some time to read it this afternoon, uh, you may have noticed that John gives a very long introduction to his letter. Preachers are very good, aren't they, at long introductions? And John gives a very long introduction to his letter, but he tells us some wonderful things in this introduction. He tells us who the Father is, he tells us who the Son is, and he also tells us that they can have fellowship with the Father and with the Son. 1 John chapter 1 verse 3, he says, indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. In chapter 2, as we began to look at this morning, we saw that John warns the church against false teachers. These false teachers, to perhaps use the words of Jesus, they are wolves who have snuck in. They are disguised in sheep's clothing. They have snuck in. Uh, they've influenced some of the sheep, and they've departed, taking some of the sheep with them. John says in chapter 2, verse 19, they, they went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, uh, they would have continued with us. What I want to do is I want to back up from some of those verses that we looked at this morning, and I want us to look at really this theme that I've tried to say is running through uh, the messages today, the love for Christ, and then making sure that we do not love the world. So I want to back up, and I want us to consider the theme of not loving the world, and making sure that we are those like we have just sung, love the Lord Jesus Christ. But before John tells us about loving the world, he does give us a little introduction and he speaks about people of the church and he speaks about different levels of spiritual maturity in the church. So the outline, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the people of the church, that's verses 12 to 14, and then we've, when we've looked at the people of the church, uh, we're then going to look at the danger of loving the world, which is verses 15 to 17. So that, that's the outline uh, for today. So let, let's begin by looking at the people of the church. That's verses 12 to 14. If I say look at the people of the church, you don't have to do this, but you can look around, don't you? And you notice we're people of different ages. We're also people from different backgrounds. And we're also people who are made up of different levels of spiritual maturity. And what we notice in these verses is that the Apostle John speaks about these different levels of spiritual maturity. Uh, he, he divides them up, I think, personally into three groups. There are some who say it's two groups. But what do you do as a preacher when there are those you, commentaries you love and they say it's two groups and this group of commentaries you love and they say it's three groups? You've got to make a choice. And so I've just gone with the three groups. If you disagree with me, I'm sure we're not going to fall out about it, okay? The, the message is still pretty much the same. So he divides them up into three groups. There are little children, there are fathers, and they are young men. Th these three groups describe three levels of spiritual maturity. Let's look at these three levels. First... He writes about little children. He writes to little children. That's verse 12 and verse 13. Now, 
Of course, these, this applies to the little children in the church. Lovely to have a children's talk. Lovely to have children here this evening. They're learning something new every week as they attend Sunday school, as they attend worship. Uh, but we can also say that these are the newly converted who are older, but they know very little about the Lord Jesus Christ. Don, John tells these little children that their sins are forgiven. Now, what's the one thing that those who are new to the Lord Jesus Christ, and even those of us who have been believers of the Lord Jesus Christ for a long time, what's the one thing that we need to hear over and over and over again? Little children, those new to the faith, need to hear that their sins are forgiven. They need to know that their sins are forgiven, not because they keep Christ's commands, Their sins are forgiven not because they love the Lord's people. Their sins are forgiven not even because they love the Lord Jesus Christ. Their sins are forgiven rather, as it says in verse 12, for his name's sake. Because of who Christ is and on the basis of what Christ has done, their sins are forgiven. Jesus Christ is the life. Jesus Christ is the word of life. He is the eternal life. He is the son of God who took to himself human flesh and suffered and died on the cross for the forgiveness of his people. He is the righteous one. He is the advocate. He is the propitiation for their sins. And so John says in verse 12, I am writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Uh, Tim Keller uh, was, was a pastor in New York. He, he passed away, sadly, some months ago. But in one of his books, he outlines what babes in Christ need to hear over and over again about their forgiveness. They need to hear this. And don't we all need to hear this? This is what we need to hear. You're accepted, Keller says, not because of your obedience, but because of Christ's obedience. You're forgiven not because of your sacrifice for Christ, but because Christ was sacrificed for you. You're loved, not because you've made yourself lovable, but because God chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. It's true, isn't it? And we should never forget it. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. John continues to speak about little children in verse 13, those who are young in the faith. In this verse, John says that not only are the little children's sins forgiven, but that these little children know the Father. Look at, at the end of verse 13. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. Now, these little children, they still have a whole lot to learn about the Father's love. They still have a whole lot to learn about the Father's generosity. Uh, They still have a whole lot more to experience about the Father's love and the Father's generosity. But because of Jesus, John says, they know the Father. Little children, the spiritually immature, even if you're very new to the faith and very new to following Jesus Christ, You have access to the Father just as Jesus the Son. Listen to this. Just as Jesus the Son has access to the Father. 
Uh, one of the, the early church uh, theologians, Cyril of Alexandria, he made this point. He says, the son is the son by nature, and we are children by grace. But when we become children of God, we don't share in the nature of Jesus Christ, but we do share in the fellowship that he has with the Father. Think of that. Right now, tonight, brothers and sisters, we have access to the Father like Jesus the Son has access to the Father. There is nothing which separates us from the love of the Father which is in Christ Jesus. Verse 13 again, I write to you children because you know the Father. Second, notice that John writes to the fathers. And the fathers are mentioned in verse 13 and verse 14. Uh, these are the ones who are, as John Stott says in his commentary, these are the ones who are ripe with Christian experience. I, I love that. The fathers, they, they're ripe with Christian experience. It's possible now to be a babe in Christ, isn't it? Uh, when, you, when you're old and you... What John is speaking about here is, is those who have been Christians for decades who wear the crown of glory, which is gray hair, the book of Proverbs says. The fathers are the mature in Christ, those who have been Christians for decades. And you could say they have the scars to show it. John tells these people in verse 13 that they know him who is from the beginning, which is most likely a reference to God the Father. The fathers, the spiritually mature, know the Father, God the Father, through the word Jesus, who was with the Father in the beginning. That's the point that John is making. These, these fathers, their, their knowledge of God has ripened over many years of communion with the Father through the Son and by the Spirit. These are, aren't they? These are the older men and the older women in the prayer meeting who pray. And when they pray, there's a stillness or a reverence that fills the room. The rest of the congregation recognize that they don't know God like these men and women know God. And what these men and women have, the rest of the congregation, they desire that for themselves. John writes to the fathers. Thirdly, he writes to the young men. And the young men are mentioned in verse 13 and verse 14. Now, these young men are the ones who have been Christians for many years. They're in the prime of their life, and they have much to contribute to the life of the church. They have zeal, they have energy, they have strength, they have the endurance that little children don't have, they have the endurance that the fathers and the spiritual mothers don't have. A friend of mine is a GP. He's also a very keen runner, and he tells me that those who are young uh, children and teenagers and 20-somethings, they can run much faster than those who are in their 40s and their 50s. Buddy told me those in their 40s and their 50s, they have the endurance that the young people do not. Those in the midlife, the, the young men and the young women, can just keep going and keep going in a way that the children cannot. John writes here to those who are spiritually young men, and he says, you've overcome the evil one, verse, verse 13. He then in verse 14 says, you're, you're strong. He says, the word of God abides in you. Now, the Lord, says John, really, he's crushing Satan under your feet. He's going to use you in the church for the growth 
of the church. You've got energy to obey. You've got energy to love. You've got the experience that little children do not have. And you've got the endurance that the fathers do not have. You, you may not know the word like the fathers know the word, but it abides in you in, in such a way that those who are younger in the faith don't have it abiding in you. And so with this knowledge, with this experience, there comes a whole lot of responsibility, which John is trying to get across to those who have been Christians for many years. Now, I want us to notice the devotion that John expects from these young men. Spiritually speaking, these young men and these young women in Christ, he expects them to be devoted to Christ. He expects them to be devoted to the commands of Christ. He expects them to be devoted to the people of Christ. Now, of course, of course, of course, that this devotion is going to come at a cost. Of course, this devotion is going to be exhausting, but they've got the endurance to do it. And John says, as the apostle of Christ and speaking on behalf of Christ, that Jesus expects them to use their energy well. So let me speak openly to the young men. And I guess I put myself in that category. It's always that weird thing where those of you, there's some in the church who think I'm really old and there's some in the church who might think I'm really young. Uh, but let me speak openly to the young men, to the spiritually young men and to the spiritually young women. Uh, the reality is, isn't it, we're not always going to have the energy that we have now. And if we don't use the energy that we've got now well, we're going to regret it later in later years. The fathers and the mothers in this church, what have they done? They have left you with an example to follow. They have devoted themselves to the Lord. They have done this well, I trust, not neglecting their families, making sure that they've done their jobs well. But they have not lived as if career and hobbies and family were the only things. They have left you a godly example to follow, and we need to pay them back in the church. They should not be the only ones responding to calls to do different things in the church. We've got the energy, we've got the strength, and we need to use that well in the church of God. And so we have this little section where John tells us in, in 12 to 14 about the children, the fathers, and the young men. And now he moves on to talk about, in verses 15 to 17, to speak about the danger of loving the world. Here, we ho I'm hoping we're going to draw together all that we've been looking at today. We don't want to love the world. We want to be those who love Jesus Christ. And notice who he is telling about the danger of loving the world. He's telling the little children. He's telling the fathers. He's telling the young men not to love the world or the things in the world. Question. What is the world? Well, John has already used the word world back in verse 2. He uses the word there to refer to people. Jesus Christ, he says, is the propitiation for the sins of the world, for people from every tribe and every nation and every tongue. He uses the word positively there. But notice here that, that John uses the word negatively to describe the things in the world which are going to lead us away from the Father. Uh, what John is telling us here is this world in which we live is not a neutral place. We do need to understand that. Whatever we watch, whatever we listen to, whatever we look at, 
it's always going to have some sort of influence on us, whether it's for good, whether it's for evil. That's true of the people that we mix with. The world's not a neutral place. Now, there are things that, that John wants us to watch out for. There is much that is good in God's creation, but there is so much in this world which is which is evil, which can pull us away from the Lord. And there are three things that he wants us to watch out for. What we need to recognize that John is doing here is, is really he's telling us three things that tempted Adam and Eve. He's telling us three things that the devil has used to tempt the people of God over the years. The devil's methods are tried and tested over millennia. And so we need to be careful of these things. What are they? here's the first. The first is the desires of the flesh. That's what he, what he says there in verse 16. For all is in the world, the desires of the flesh. We need to watch out for the desires of the flesh. Now, let's just understand that the desires of the flesh were originally good. Hunger for food, thirst for refreshment, desire for your spouse, a desire to rest after long hours of work. But because of the entrance of sin in the world and because of the devil at work in our world, these desires have been corrupted and we need to resist these corruptions. Food is good, but too much food leads to greed. Thirst is good, but too much can lead to drunkenness. Desire is good, but not for anyone other than your spouse. Rest is good, but excessive luxury leads to laziness. Do not love the world, says John. Resist the world. When you notice the desires of the world are at work in you, resist them. They they are like weeds growing in a beautiful garden. You need to pull them out by the roots. Uh, The second thing to watch out for, John says in verse 16, is the desires of the eyes. The eyes are the lamp of the body, Jesus says in another place. The the eyes are like windows, aren't they? We've got these windows here, and that which is in the outside, it comes in, or or the light that is here, it goes out. It lets things in, and and the eyes, they let things in. No Christian should ever say, the devil made me do it. No Christian should ever say, it's not my fault, it's just the way I'm wired and made up. Every Christian needs to take responsibility for those things that come in through our eyes. Everywhere around us are the desires of the eyes. And we need to, as it were, shut those windows, pull the curtains down. We need to make sure that those desires for the corruptions of this world, they are not being allowed into our beings. The Bible is is full of warnings, bad examples of those who did not pay attention to what their eyes were letting in. Eve found the forbidden fruit. Do you remember what it says? She found it a delight to her eyes. Achan, he coveted a garment from Shinar. He wanted that garment. He took it. He hid it under the earth in his tent, and it brought trouble to the people of God. And of course, there was David, who should have been out leading his people in a war campaign. But rather, he's up on the rooftop, and he's looking at Bathsheba bathing. There are many poor examples, but also the Bible is full of great examples. People who had human flesh like us, and they used, by the power of the Holy Spirit, they were able to resist those corruptions and their temptations. We can think of Joseph, who fled from 
Potiphar's wife. You can think of Job, who said, I've made a covenant with my eyes. We can think of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, who was like us in every way, yet he was without sin. He never gave in to the desires of the eyes. Do not love the world, says John. The third thing to watch out for, says, is the boastful pride. Luther said that, that a Christian should not want to exalt himself. But then he went on to say, the world, on the other hand, always seeks the things that are high. Everyone wants to be exalted, Luther says. So, another writer, Barclay, said that, that such a person seeks to impress everyone he meets with his own non-existent self-importance. The pride of life is an arrogance. It's a vainglory, says another commentator, relating to one's external circumstances. Now, probably more than any other generation, aren't we, through the boastful pride of life. It comes through advertising. Social media, we're so easily obsessed with ourselves rather than looking outside of ourselves and looking to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is it in our generation we are so confident that everyone wants to see another selfie of us standing by a lamppost? Why are we so devastated when we don't get hundreds of approvals within a few minutes of us standing by a lamppost? It's the boastful pride of life at work. Rather than being puffed up by us, but ourselves, the Apostle Peter tells us, doesn't he, to, to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he may at the right time exalt us and lift us up. We must cast all our anxieties on him, knowing that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. Verses 15 and 16, John says, Do not love the world, or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Having told us what these things are that we need to watch out for, John then goes on in verse 15 and also in verse 17 to tell us why we should not love the world. These things are very important. We need strength beyond ourselves, not just to go, okay, I've been a bad person, now I better do what the preacher says. And we need God's Spirit to work in us new desires, a desire not for the world, but a desire for Christ, a greater affection, that we may love Christ more than we love the world. And so that's what John is trying to do here. He's, he's trying to change our affections. He says... In verse 15, why is it we should not love the world? Firstly, verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. By implication, of course, those who don't love the world, they're loving Christ. There's someone greater for them. There's someone who is greater than all these desires of the flesh and even the boastful pride of life. I want Christ. I want him more than anything. We, I'm loved by the Father. His, his love is in me. Well, that's why we should not love the world. We seek after the things of Christ. We seek after the things that Jesus Christ loves. 
Secondly, why should we not love the world? We'll look at verse 17. It says, The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now John told us earlier in the chapter, verse 8, that the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Now children, remember Lot's wife this morning? And those exercises that I was talking about, she looked back, she stretched back, she, she wanted to go back to her old ways of life, but those ways were passing away. The city was being destroyed. She loved the city that was passing away in flames. Why love the things that are passing away? The more Christ shines, John tells us, the less darkness there will be. His gospel will advance. It will advance. It will go forth. And the darkness will increasingly disappear until Jesus Christ returns and the darkness disappears for good. One John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, a little later on, John says, We know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Uh, one systematic theologian tells us when Christ comes, we will be like him in his glory. So the question we ask ourselves is this, why would we then have anything to do with the darkness now when that darkness will disappear when Christ returns in glory? John tells us not to love the world. And he tells us why we should not love the world. There is someone greater to love. There is the Lord Jesus Christ. May the Spirit work those affections in our hearts for Christ that we may love Him above everything else. And so we've seen today these, these two sections. We, we've seen this section about different levels of spiritual maturity, the people in the church. We've also seen this section where John talks to us about the danger of loving the world. But I wonder if you notice there's a connection between these two things. And I think John kind of expects us to see it. The world, the warning not to love the world, is not just given to the spiritually immature, but it's also given to the mature. The warning to love, not love the world is not just given to little children, but it's also given to the fathers. It's also given to the young men. They must not love the world. The temptation to love the world, John reminds us here, is going to be strong all the days of our lives. Those things that tempt us when we are children may not be the things that tempt us when we are in midlife and when we are older. Those things that tempted us when we were spiritual babes may not be the same things that us now, but there is one temptation which will remain all the days of our spiritual pilgrimage. It's the temptation to love the world and to love the things of the world. And so, sins are forgiven. Knowing the Father through the Son, strengthened by the Spirit to obey and to love, let us together go from this place to resist the temptations of the world, eagerly waiting for the return of our Savior, Jesus Christ.